This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapino's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. fans this is the golden edge podcast the podcast where the las vegas review journal talks once again about real live hockey at city national arena golden knights training camp is still ongoing we're talking on uh, tuesday july 21st the team's second scheduled off day of training camp and we want to discuss all of our observations and what we've seen so far before we do that, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by Favor, drinkafavor.com. Also, please check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com and rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Whatever you do to podcasts, we would appreciate if you did it to this one because it helps people find us. I, of course, am one of your Review Journal Golden Knights beat writers, Ben Goats. Joining me on the other line... Uh, a guy who has been socially distancing from me for the past week or so. He's had a chair like six feet away from me at City National Arena is Dave Shane. Uh, Dave, it's good to talk to you, albeit we are now much further away from each other than usual because, of course, uh, we are recording uh, from our respective homes. But uh, how are you? Good, good. I know even like when we chat in the parking lot afterward, we're like 20 feet apart of the car, like shouting across, you know, the Hyundais and everything. So, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been, it's just been cool to like get back into like a little bit of a routine. You know, I feel a little bit more normal now. So that's nice. Yeah, for sure. I definitely feel more normal now too. And I feel like my, my lovely girlfriend and dog appreciate that, you know, I'm spending some, some time apart from them. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, uh, as we say. Uh, so we're, like I said earlier off the top, we're going to touch on some of our, uh, you know, macro and micro takeaways from golden Knights training camp. But before we dive into some of those micro things we've observed, uh, let's just 
quick touch on what some of our overall impressions of camp have been now that we've been, you know, going at it for a week instead of two days like it was the last time we recorded. Dave, has anything jumped out at you the past week, surprised you, impressed you, anything like that? No, I mean, I still continue to just kind of see where other teams are at around the league and compared to where the Golden Knights are. I just, you know, we, we've heard it kind of going back to even that first Sunday before they, they started the training camp from Kelly McCrimmon, you know, about feeling like they wanted a competitive advantage and feeling like having everybody back, you know, for phase two and being on the ice and, and sort of being ahead of the game was was going to give them that advantage. And we've heard it kind of throughout for the last week plus, you know, these guys talking about, you know, the conditioning already being there, not needing to to spend time on that and, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, it, it's something the players have talked about. There was an obvious commitment. It, w- it was something that they wanted to hold themselves accountable for. And I think it's been pretty evident in the first, you know, week plus. Yeah, I think it both... I guess it's been an advantage in multiple ways and some ways that are not quite obvious because, you know, Pete DeBoer touched on this yesterday because they held, you know, a 30 minute scrimmage where after 50 minutes they switch sides. And he's also, even though that their conditioning is already there, he's also not pushing them super hard right away because he knows that they have a little bit more cushion to get ready compared to some other teams. They're not going to be in the playing round like a lot of the other Western Conference team, and they're not going to have to jump into a do-or-die playoff series right away. They get to jump into round-robin games, and it's already been, I think, pretty heavily hinted at by the Knights that while they would obviously love to win those games and become the number one seed in the Western Conference, they're also not going to you know, cry over it if they don't do well and they end up, you know, still in the three spot or even drop to the four spot. They're kind of using that extra leeway that they have to not jump into, you know, super competitive games right away to kind of pace themselves and try not to push it too hard. Because like I said, we saw a big 30 minute scrimmage yesterday, but, you know, like a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs that has to jump into the playing round has been doing this whole training camp scrimmage series where it's team Matthews versus team Anderson. I saw the Minnesota wild on Saturday did a full, you know, 60 minute scrimmage with three periods and it even went into overtime. So while the Knights, I think certainly could do that, I think it's interesting that coach Pete DeBoer has kind of said, you know, we don't need to do that though. We can kind of take our time a little bit more and maybe focus on the minutia of our game a little bit before kind of really feeling like we have to simulate hardcore game action yeah and yet we've kind of seen it it's been obvious the way it's slowly but surely kind of ramped up and they've mixed in a little bit you know more of the physicality we saw that one practice over the weekend that you know was was obviously you know a lot of contact and and a lot of physicality i know there was a video that i was able to shoot where you know mark stone got knocked out on the play Derek england flattened jonathan march so on the same play like you know, earlier in the in that practice, Jonathan Marchessault and John Merrill went barreling into the boards and, you know, looked like <laughs> I mean, it looked like a game for for a minute. I mean, they went in hard. So so it's not like the Golden Knights are exactly taking it easy out there. And and yeah, it's different. They seem to be a little bit different stage and 
and a little bit different priority than maybe some of those teams that you mentioned that that are going to play in that qualifying round. But but you can kind of see the plan as the week's gone along and and what Pete DeBoer and his staff and, and the team has sort of emphasized and, you know, where they've sort of focused on, you know, special teams and things like that, where, where they've they've amped up that physicality, like I said. So you, you can sort of see a, a clear, you know, blueprint in place for, for where the Knights are headed. It'll be interesting kind of the next week or so before they head off to Edmonton you know, what their focus is on and, and, you know, the intensity level and how it ratchets, ratchets up, if I can say that correctly, um, over the next few days before they get to Edmonton. Yeah, definitely. And then one more thing I want to touch on before we get into, like I said, more, you know, nitty gritty topics is, uh, you know, semi good news for the Knights. Pretty much everyone uh, is still healthy. The one exception is Max Pacioretty, who did not skate uh, with the Golden Knights yesterday as part of that scrimmage. Uh, we were only able to get, I believe it was uh, unable to practice yesterday from Pete DeBoer. It's a very general term, which is all we're going to get from now on because the uh, Players Association in its negotiations with the league on the return to play stuff basically said, hey, we don't want you know, the media and the public basically to find out if one of us has COVID. So the solution that they came up with is basically they're only going to describe injuries from now on in very general terms. The the standard issue line that has been taking place league wide in which Pete DeBoer didn't quite know yesterday is, you know, fit to play or unfit to play. If someone's down on the ice, that just means they're unfit to play, whether that means it's a positive test or an injury, whether it's a short-term injury or a long-term injury, even if it's the old upper body injury, lower body injury, we no longer get to know. We just get to know whether they're fit to play or unfit to play, which is kind of comical in a lot of ways. You know, I might be biased as a member of the media, but I don't think it's quite doing what the players intended it to do, especially because we saw yesterday that the NHL said they only have two positive tests out of the latest round of testing uh, that took place before training camps. So there's certainly not that many guys that have actually contracted COVID-19 in the NHL recently, but all of these guys, whether they have COVID or an injury are being treated the same though. I should take pains to point out that uh, Pete DeBoer mentioned that Max Pacioretty specifically does not, have COVID-19. He said that, you know, in the interest of Pacioretty's family, he specified that Pacioretty does not have COVID-19. It's some sort of unspecified ailment that kept him out of practice yesterday. But, you know, other than that, Dave, I, we should probably, yeah, like I said, take uh, time to mention that compared to certainly where this group was coming into the league's pause, they are coming out of it, you know, much more complete, for lack of a better term. Yeah, at this point, although I... I don't want to totally downplay the Pacioretty situation. I mean, I think I feel like at least the way the team handled it, the way it was phrased and, and everything like that, it was very different than the week before when Marc-Andre Fleury was was gone. That was made very clear to us. That was a maintenance day. And don't, you know, don't worry. Nah, he'll be fine. You know, we expect him before the weekend and all that. This time we got Pete DeBoer trying to kind of figure out how to phrase it came up with unable to participate and, you know, and again, like you mentioned, at least we did find out from him and, and he did, I guess, disclose that it wasn't due to a positive test. 
and that's probably more than than we will get or could get to be quite honest according to the nhl rules like you alluded to i mean this is the way it's going to be going forward and we've sort of seen it around the league we've seen it you know in boston in chicago you know other teams with with these guys that when they become unfit to participate or whatever the phrase you know that the team uses it it just ends up leading to to so much speculation and you've got agents coming out basically having to clear things up and and all that and like you said the privacy was a big was a big sticking point for the NHLPA but maybe the result of it isn't what they hoped for and 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 it's led to you know maybe a different set of situations that that maybe they didn't account for here with with injuries and stuff i mean it's going to get you know, real quiet as it goes forward, because I'm sure as these coaches say things, they're going to probably get word from the NHL. Hey, you said too much. Be quiet. Just use the phrase unfit to play, unfit to participate, you know, and that's it. Move on. So, I mean, we'll kind of see how this gets handled going forward. And and I guess more than anything, short term is we'll see, you know, what's going on with Patch Ready. If it's an injury, if it keeps him out for any length of time, you know, or if it was something else and he shows up you know at at practice this week and it becomes a non-issue but you know at least for right now i mean it's it's worth watching that's for sure right it's just hard to you know discuss more about it because we don't even have the general timelines we used to get whether someone's day-to-day week-to-week all that stuff like i said that's all out the window now it's just uh, unfit to play or fit to play but that's certainly something to keep an eye on uh, other stuff to keep an eye on, or at least stuff that we have our eye on watching the first couple days of camp. Uh, what I want to start off talking about is, of course, probably the most fascinating debate battle. I don't know how you exactly should put it uh, in camp, which is, of course, the goaltending. Uh, first of all, right off the bat, it's been really good, whether it's Marc-Andre Fleury or Robin Leonard. For the most part, I think they've both performed really well when they've been out there uh since we last talked flurry was of course unavailable at the start of training camp he's now been back for the past couple days the knights maintained as dave said the whole time that it was just maintenance days he of course skated for five weeks during uh phase two of the league's return to play protocols the small group workouts so it was more about making sure that he was fully recovered and ready to go for the stretch run rather than it sounded like any specific ailment that they were working on. Um, and since Flurry's been back in camp, like I said, he's been really good. Uh, Robin Leonard has been pretty much unbeatable. Uh, Flurry ended up giving up uh, three goals in the Monday scrimmage that we watched yesterday, but that was mainly because I think the guys in front of him did a very poor job of protecting his crease. Two of the goals were rebounds. Uh, another one was a point shot through traffic. And so I don't think, you know, he deserves a ton, a ton of blame on those three goals. And then Leonard just gave up uh, one to either Derek England or Nick Cousins. We didn't have replay to determine whether the puck went off Nick Cousins skate or not. Uh, Dave, what have your, been your impressions of, of both goalies uh, so far in camp? I mean, to be quite honest, and nothing against Marc-Andre Fleury because we only saw him for a couple of days, but what's really jumped out at me is just how how good Robin Leonard's look, to be quite honest. And and I'm not saying that he should necessarily be the game one starter right now or anything like that, but but he's clearly come back. You know, he put in time during phase two. 
And he's been, he's just been a wall. I mean, I think we talked about it a little bit last week and, and we saw it, you know, over the last, you know, handful of practices, they just, they just can't beat him. Um, I think he gave up one goal in the scrimmage. Finally, you know, a couple guys finally beat him in, in drills and things like that, but he's just looked really good. And, you know, if Mark Andre Fleury is going to get the first nod and he seems to be getting the first crack, like the first rep, you know, in drills and things like that. So if you're going to read into things, you know, in that way, you know, you would, you would expect Fleury to probably at least start the first round Robin game, or maybe start the first exhibition game, depending on, you know, how, how all that goes. He seems to be kind of first in line, but if they acquired Robin Leonard for, you know, insurance and, and just in case or whatever, you know, phrase you want to use for it, uh, he's clearly ready. Like that's what's jumped out to me. Plus his pads, uh, you know, he called them a little busy, but they look pretty sweet. I, I, I kind of like them. Yeah, I, I kind of disagree with them. I don't think they're that busy. And I think, you know, for people that don't have a visual, he's got basically a knight uh, on each pad. And I think uh, shooting at them, shooting at an armed knight would be uh, pretty intimidating if I were an opposing player. Um, another thing to talk about with the goaltenders is just how Pete DeBoer has discussed how he's going to use them this postseason. Well, it's a good, good question. Um, I think, uh, you know, while there have been plenty of examples of, you know, the starter going wire to wire in the Stanley cup playoffs, I think, I think, uh, you're seeing more of the, uh, uh of both guys contributing at different, uh, points. I think Pittsburgh's one cup back, uh, actually, uh, you know, when flower was there, they both played and last year, Washington or, uh, you know, both guys are playing. So, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, maybe the thought process on that uh, is changing. I think particularly with four months off a short training camp and a long playoff runway, um, it might be even more important this year that both guys play games at different points. So uh, it's a great luxury for us. Uh, I'm not going to be afraid to play either. I don't know what that'll look like. Maybe it'll be one guy starting the majority. Maybe we'll uh, we'll uh, go back and forth. Uh, you know, I, I'm really going to keep an open mind to this because uh, of the situation and and uh, the fact we have two great goalies. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots. Bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. So it's certainly interesting to me that Pete DeBoer is pretty forthright about like, hey, I want to play both goalies. I think it'd be beneficial to potentially play both goalies in this kind of crazy playoff scenario we're going through where there's not a lot of uh, build-up time compared to, obviously, you know, the normal playoffs where you've played 82 games. Um, and obviously, Marc-Andre Fleury has a history with this in Pittsburgh where the last Stanley Cup he won there before uh, coming to the Golden Knights in the expansion draft, he played, I believe it was 15 games in the playoffs. Matt Murray played 10 games in the playoffs, including the Stanley Cup Final games, all of those. And the Penguins ultimately won the cup. So 
Dave, do you have any thoughts on whether this kind of goalie quote unquote rotation would be a good way to go in the playoffs? Do we kind of buy what DeBoer is selling of that might be the way more teams go in the future? Or is he just trying to spin this the best he can to try to keep both guys engaged? I mean, I think it's how we define rotation here. And like, I I mean, do you alternate games? Do you, you know, do you set up something that's as close to a regular season scenario as you can? I, I don't know. Like, to me, the playoffs is is kind of you go with the hot hand, you go with a guy. Um, so if you rotate, I guess during the exhibition and the round robin, I completely agree with that. I'm behind that, and I and I would, you know, back that. I guess thinking, but I think you need a guy to start with, and, and I don't think you go well. He's our game one starter, and then he's our game two, and then he's our game three and four, and you you don't alternate back. I don't have that. I don't buy that's regular season stuff. This is the playoffs and, and you got to ride somebody and, and you know, if flurry struggles, then you have the luxury of going to another guy. And if he gets a game for you and then struggles, then you go back to flurry and he gets on a roll and that's what you consider a, a rotation. Well then, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm cool with that, but if we're going to define it as, you know, one guy gets game one, one guy gets game two, and then you just keep going back and forth. No, I'm, I'm uh, in the playoffs. I'm not, I wouldn't get behind a scenario like that. I tend to agree just because I think people underestimate the psychological kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, toll that that can take on guys where if you're playing well and it's the playoffs, you want to feel the belief of the coaching staff to go out there and perform, you know, in the highest stake scenarios uh, for your teammates. And so I think, you know, having a vote of confidence from a coaching staff in that way can go a long way. Whereas, you know, it's kind of like quarterback competitions, of course, where it's the old it can go with the old saying of if you have two quarterbacks, you really have none. You want one guy to place your trust and confidence in and have him feel that, hey, if you give up you know, one softy, we're not just going to yank you out of the net right away. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how DeBoer tries to walk that fine line of you know, instilling confidence in both guys, potentially playing both guys, but not doing so in a way that would necessarily neglect or undercut them and so it's a dance that you know he provided some examples but there haven't been a whole lot of examples of this working at least in kind of the modern nhl even for the you know flurry penguin scenario i just described like i said earlier flurry i think only started four games where both guys were actually healthy and they were the first games that Matt Murray was healthy because he was coming off an injury to start the playoffs. So Murray watched from the bench for four games, got in the game, and then he was the guy the rest of the way. And like I said, he started all of the Penguin Stanley Cup final games. Uh, the other example that Pete DeBoer used was Washington. And even that's not perfect because in 2018, when they, of course, defeated the Golden Knights to win the Stanley Cup, uh, they had Philip Grubauer start their first two playoff games. Then he got yanked midway through game two. Braden Holtby goes in and then Braden Holtby basically didn't leave the net the rest of the postseason. So even in those scenarios, it's obviously not like you're really alternating guys. When there was a switch, there was a switch the rest of the postseason and we didn't see them go back to kind of the other guy that they were starting those teams. So 
like I said, it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch because you certainly do kind of get where DeBoer's coming from, where we have two great goalies and I want to lean into that advantage. It's just not something a lot of teams have been able to do in the playoffs. I was just going to say it was brought up, you know, by our friend this week that Pete DeBoer does not have a history of alternating goalies in the playoffs. Like when he, he was in New Jersey, he had Martin Brodeur and rode him to the to the Stanley Cup final. When he was in San Jose, Martin Jones got hot and they rode him to the Stanley Cup final. So, you know, Pete DeBoer doesn't necessarily have you know, a resume of going back and forth a lot between goalies and things. And I would even point to last, uh, last spring and the series against the golden Knights. And everybody seemed to be calling for Martin Jones to, you know, to be yanked and for Aaron Dell to start a game. And he stuck with Martin Jones, Martin Jones got, you know, game six, uh, in Vegas. And then they went back to, to San Jose and we all know what happened. So it'll be kind of interesting in that regard to see how Pete DeBoer handles, you know, having two number one goalies. He's never really had that before. So it's something that he's going to have to balance. Like you mentioned, Ben. Yeah, it'll definitely be a big storyline throughout the postseason. Another storyline that I certainly have my eyes on throughout camp and will continue to have my eyes on as the playoffs get going is the third line, which has received a lot of praise from Pete DeBoer so far. He's put Chandler Stevenson, Nicholas Waugh and Alex Tuck together. And for the most part, it's looked like a pretty solid combination. I don't think they had their best day in the scrimmage yesterday, but for the most part, they've been pretty noticeable in drills. Now, certainly we've talked about Alex Tuck a lot on this show, a guy who obviously had so, so much promise in the Golden Knights inaugural season, uh, made good on a lot of that promise for about half of last year. And then he got demoted to the third line and has really struggled since then. And of course, this year has featured a lot of injuries and not a lot of uh, consistency for Tuck. For most of that time, he was partnered with Cody Eakin, which is, you know, a center wing combination that just never seemed to click. So do we think that uh, Chandler Stevenson and Nicholas Waugh have a better chance to get more out of Alex Tuck than than Cody Eakin did, Dave? You know, it's hard to say because I, I was looking at this a little bit and like, where was Alex Tuck successful? Where was, were most of his points coming from in terms of who were, who was he skating with? And, you know, you go back and, and look at last year and, you know, even when he was with Cody Eakin, you Corsi wise and all that sort of underlying number stuff wasn't there. His most success seemed to be when he was with Pacioretty and Stashney. When Stashney got back, and then once Pacioretty got healthy, and it was a small kind of period in time. And then obviously Mark Stone got there, but you know that seems to be kind of the center that he he needs to be with. Pacioretty, or uh, I'm sorry. Paul Stasny one one time talked about Alex Tuck's game and and how as a give and go center like that seems to work and and it, I I kind of think back to that and and I think what he's referring to is you want to hit Alex Tuck like with speed on the rush get him going through the neutral zone you know a guy that that he feeds the puck to and then you give right back to and and same thing in the zone and and Paul Stasny sees the ice so well um, and can you know develop those sorts of plays and, and seems to have that, that sort of chemistry with 
with Alex Tuck. I don't know if Chandler Stevenson is that type of center. I don't know if Nick Waugh is that type of center. It'll be interesting kind of what sort of chemistry and how they figure out how to work together um, as this goes forward, because I think it, it's very different than, than what Alex Tuck has had success with. This line to me screams, you know, big, fast, strong, you know, get after people, cause problems, you know, with their, with their speed and then be able to also cycle the puck and grind teams down and then be able to throw the fourth line out there right after them and continue to wear teams out. You know, I don't know if that's Alex Tuck's best game, but there's a lot of things, all that being said, there's a lot of things about that line that I really do like. And I love the speed that Chandler Stevenson can bring in the middle. And and I love the emergence, you know, of Nick Waugh, his ability to win face-offs, his ability to, you know, win battles along the wall and, you know, be a big, strong guy alongside, you know, Stevenson and Tuck. The, at least on paper, there there's some things that that you know maybe maybe you get excited about that that maybe you could see clicking, whether it actually does going forward. You know, I don't know. We'll we'll see. Yeah, like I said, I think there's the things that you can latch onto with this line compared to you know a lot of previous Golden Knights third line where you mentioned okay, both Stevenson and Tuck are really fast and Nick Swah is not slow. He's not obviously a burner like those guys, but he can get up and down too. So you're like, okay, that's something that you can at least latch onto with this line. And then obviously Wah is big. He's really good on the wall. He could be a good four checker. Stevenson, despite not being as big as Wah or Tuck, I think is a pretty good four checker too. So you mentioned you've at least got two guys that can kind of work that cycle game. And, you know, even though, Tuck is once again big. He's not quite, I don't think, as physical, certainly as a wah, but I think it's something that he could try to work on and they could try to find success with. I think they're going to be a group that has a chance to really, really drive possession in the offensive zone and be really, really hard to kind of shake once they're in there. Uh, the other question I have, of course, with this line is if the opposite happens and they get trapped in their defensive zone, you know, how how well is that going to work? Stevenson, I think, certainly tries hard in the defensive zone. Nicholas Watt tries hard in the defensive zone. I'm not quite sure because he's still a rookie whether he quite knows exactly where to be all the time. So that's one, you know, thing that I could quibble with of if they get trapped in their defensive zone, how's that going to look? But like, you know, we just talked about, there's certainly some things to get excited about there. And it'll be interesting to see how DeBoer decides exactly to deploy them once games start. And the last thing I want to talk about before we kind of wrap up here is the big C, which in this case is the captaincy for the Golden Knights. Uh, already, this feels like a million years ago. But since we last talked, DeBoer lets slip that the Golden Knights are going to name their first captain next year. I should note that when we talked to general manager Kelly McCrimmon a few days later, he was a little bit more noncommittal. But, you know, we've talked about this before going back to even May when we did a podcast about, you know, who are the Golden Knights options for a potential captain. Uh, it feels like this is something DeBoer actively believes in, something he wants and something he's kind of pushing for. I should note. 
whether this was a coincident or likely not. DeBoer also raved about Mark Stone's leadership qualities the day before kind of letting that news slip. So, you know, when it comes to the Knights options and who we ultimately think is going to have that C put on their chest next year, if indeed this all comes to pass, do we think this is 100% a done deal, Dave, or is there any room for a dark horse in this race? I mean, never say never, right? It's not like 100% until they actually have the news conference and bring out the jersey with, you know, Stone's name on the back of it and the C on the front, because I think we all know that's eventually where this is going. But, you know, I mean, I suppose it's, you know, maybe George McPhee, maybe Kelly McCrimmon are going to have some say in this. I don't, I mean, that's what's funny is this seems like a Pete DeBoer kind of project almost. Uh, it doesn't seem like Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee are all that, you know, in a rush to go away from the 23 captains philosophy that seems to have fit this team and organization, at least for the first few years. And, and Pete DeBoer's kind of come in and said, you know, I'll handle the goalie and we're going to have a captain and that's the way we're going to do it. Um, so it's kind of interesting in that regard. And maybe he's got somebody else in mind, but every time he talks about Stone and and sort of recently when this captaincy's come up, I mean, Mark Stone seems to embody everything that Pete DeBoer will kind of wants in a hockey player. You know, the work ethic, the skill set on the ice, the example that he sets, you know, little things that we've seen like with, you know, taking in Peyton Krebs. And, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, Mark Stone puts up a a, a tough front with us. And, and you see the emotion on the ice, but, you know, he, he's pretty quiet with, with the media and things, but, you know, behind closed doors and with that locker room, you, you know, he's a guy that's, that's sort of day by day feeling more comfortable and, and everybody's stuck kind of sort of getting behind and, and just waiting for him to take over. And, and, and like I mentioned, the thing with Krebs, just, you know, it's a little thing like that and, and we'll see what happens in this in this playoffs going forward, I think he sort of started to assert himself a little bit last year in the playoffs and, and become kind of that emotional leader. And, and all eyes are going to be, you know, on Mark Stone going forward. So I would imagine, you know, not not to say it's a tryout, but, you know, they're going to look at that a little bit here and and, and seeing going forward. I, I don't know who else could have, who, who else it could be, though, like Pacioretty, Nate Schmidt, you know, I don't know. But... It, 99.9% you know, done deal for Mark Stone? I don't know. What would you say, Ben? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, if people want to go back and listen to that podcast we did, we did mention some other candidates like Dave mentioned, a Max Pacioretty, you know, a Nate Schmidt, even a Riley Smith, uh, kind of Jonathan Marcheseau, but you can listen to uh, Dave's thought on that <laughs> potential uh, captaincy on the podcast. I'll save that uh, tease for for that show, but... I mean, I think what we kind of discovered, you know, talking through that is, you know, to to borrow the old fairy tale term, the slipper really only seems to fit one player on this roster. There are holes to poke in kind of all of the other chief candidates, which, you know, Max Pacioretty, he's been a captain before, but it really seems like he doesn't want to do that again. And he's enjoying you know, not having the responsibilities that come with that. Nate Schmidt, he's a really smart guy. He seems to be really well respected. He's the, you know, Players Association rep for, you know, this team. You know, but there also is that that goofy side of him. And, you know, is he 100%, you know, the example that you want to point to 
uh, for your organization. You know, and whereas with Stone, everything just seems to line up. You know, you mentioned the Peyton Krebs angle, and I think Stone is just such an easy guy for the Knights to point to and say, we want you to be like him. And you can do that and not have it be a situation like in Edmonton where Connor McDavid is the Oilers captain and no one can be like Connor McDavid. There are prospects coming up through the Oilers system who can't exactly look at Connor McDavid as a model because they'll never be Connor McDavid. No one's Connor McDavid. Whereas with Mark Stone, uh, you know, we've gone through the story a million different times, but this is a guy that was a sixth round pick that was overlooked because of his skating and kind of through sheer competitiveness and, you know, determination, force of will, work ethic, he became one of the best two-way forwards in the NHL. I mean, he's a guy who his calling cards are not, you know, an insane wrist shot. It's not blazing speed. You know, it's the fact that he can basically get his stick on any puck he wants to. He's just incredible at generating turnovers. He has an insane level of hockey sense. And he is just, uh, you know, as we've talked before, just one of the most competitive guys, quietly competitive, but still one of the most competitive, emotional guys you find out on the ice. So those are all qualities that you can go to a Peyton Krebs and say, hey, we want you to follow this example that you can go to even like a Lucas Elvinus or a Jack Dugan guys who are coming up through the pipeline and say, we want you to take some of these attributes and apply them to your game. And that's much more realistic for them to at least attempt to approach that than just say like, yeah, go, you know, stick handle through three guys and, you know, blaze past the fourth like McDavid can do. So a lot of the stars just seem to line up with Mark Stone. Well, hopefully the stars lined up for everyone listening to be enjoying this podcast. We thank you all for checking us out. We also want to thank Favor drinkafavor.com for presenting us. We want to thank the Las Vegas Review Journal for employing us. Make sure to check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com and once again, please rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcast, we would appreciate if you did it to this podcast. For Dave Shane, I'm Ben Goats. We are the Golden Edge Podcast and we'll talk to you guys again real soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.